Founded at the beginning of the UK lockdown, A Bit Lit is about conversation, celebrating and exploring theatre, literature and creative work across all periods and of all kinds. We've talked to professional wrestlers and about Ghostbusters and medieval sex positivity. We've looked at the histories of race, gender and sexuality. We followed migrating coconuts and the history of wine and cheese. We've gone from Jane Austen and Shakespeare to EastEnders via the history of early television, young adult fiction, photography, animation and documentary making. And with over 100 films already, many other subjects as well. Join the conversations at our website, abitlit.co or on YouTube and follow us on Twitter at abitlit. Mal, Ella, how are you both doing? Are you well? Very good. Thank you. It's really good to see you both. Um, We're starting our films by asking contributors to introduce themselves and give us a sense of the work that they do. Um, Ella, maybe could we start with you, please? Of course. Yeah, thank you. Um, My name's Ella Hawkins. Uh, I recently finished my PhD and uh, my PhD research looked at costume design for Shakespeare, uh, specifically um, so-called period dress productions. So how and why modern day designers um, adapt and recycle Elizabethan styles of dress in their designs for Shakespeare. Brilliant. Thank you. Mal. Um, Yeah, I'm Mal. Uh, I also have a surname. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm Mal Parry. I, um, I primarily work as a designer, um, including for Shakespeare. Uh, I've designed at Shakespeare's Globe and Ella wrote uh, about that in, um, in her PhD, which was very gratifying <laughs> and made me feel very real and, and proper and seen. Uh, and um, yeah, I'm Sort of midway through a PhD that has changed an awful lot since my original proposal um, but yeah it's basically kind of about using um, the queer performing body as um, as a methodology for for historical research. Do you mind if I ask you um, to unpack as a methodology? Yes, um, and um, I'm probably using the word methodology wrong. I I always kind of get a bit lost in that, like, is it method or is it methodology? Um, Are we just saying methodology to sound more clever? Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah, I suppose it's it's about kind of, I suppose, starting from the position um, that uh, it's it feels important to uh, attempt to locate queerness and transness um, in history um, because gender nonconformity and sexual nonconformity has like very much been erased um, and uh, and where we're at now um, it's it feels important to kind of look look back um as in order to kind of help us understand ourselves better now um to think about the about future um ways of kind of knowing and and living gender um uh but also kind of accepting that locating queerness and transness in the past is literally impossible um not just because of the erasure but because um 
these things are historically um, contingent and historically constructed. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, sort of somebody gender non-conforming in 1600 would not think of themselves in the same way as, as they would now or even, yeah. I mean, the way I think of myself now and the way I think of and experience and live my gender identity is like kind of wildly different um, from how it was sort of even 10 years ago. Uh, but sort of conversely, thinking about gender in 1600 sometimes feels more helpful to me than thinking about gender in 2000. Uh, I sort of, I find, I find a lot of useful things in the past. So yeah, it's sort of about kind of holding, holding that impossibility um, and sort of dealing with that impossibility by thinking traditional historiographic practice isn't really going to help me here, but perhaps there's some more sort of playful um, and queer and not very academic ways, shall we say, of kind of of going there. Uh, and and I sort of I use bodies, I use my body to, to do that. Yeah, and I guess maybe across this film we might put pressure on the idea of what is academic and what isn't and what's exciting about both of your work mm. is you're extending that that concept, but maybe kind of non-traditional academic ways of thinking. Um, and that sets us up really nicely, I think, for thinking about the boundary between um, design and the weird worlds of knowledge making and knowledge checking and knowledge researching um, that we're going to be going to be thinking about. Um, since Ella, I think this is our first film in which one contributor ha has studied another contributor. So that that's something super weird. I pretend Mal is not mm -hmm. here. Um, uh, Ella, do you mind telling us a bit more about what it is like not only to work um, on, to, to work on the work of people who are um, uh, contemporary and live you know I spend my time hanging out with dead people so I find that that's exciting and new to me um, and also to work um, on the work of people with whom you are in correspondence um, do you mind telling us a bit about how Miles work ended up speaking to yours absolutely yeah it's, it's a huge responsibility and something that I feel very um, like I, I must be very careful about and feel strongly about being very careful about um, it's been a real pleasure to talk to people about what they've been doing, um, which is a, th a thing you can't do with dead people so much is I can interview <laughs> Mal and I can say like, what were your thought processes when you created this production or this costume? Like, where did that come from? What were your kind of source images? Because often we see the final product and we don't necessarily see all the different stages that went into that and all the different kind of broader ideas and kind of cultural movements that they come from. So being able to interview many of the people I wrote about was a kind of essential way of doing that work mm. um, to kind of put that all together into one really clear picture. Um, so Mal and I met over Twitter, I think, didn't we? I tagged, I tagged you in a post saying that I was writing about your work and we managed to make contact and we had a really lovely interview. Um, yeah, and it's just, it's a way of working that I, I think I wouldn't be without now. It's combining that element of kind of conversation with kind of the archival research, which is piecing together those documents of kind of source material, uh, drawings, um, understanding what those conversations were that happened behind the scenes. Um, 
in order to feel like I'm able to write about that and to analyze that in order to sort of give a perhaps sort of academically rigorous insight into what those practices were and how they worked. Um, but also to just kind of do them justice and to make sure that they're available for people to write about. Because so often um, design is an increasingly, you know, widely studied area, um, but it's very much still in development. And often these materials, such as the conversations, they get lost. Mm. Um, so kind of bringing those into the middle of the conversation, I think is really important moving forward. Yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you. I really, really love that. Um, and would you mind, I know this is awful because Mal's right here, but would you characterise um, Mal's work or, or tell us about where it sat in, in the overall work you were doing? Yes, Mal's work was in the last chapter of my thesis, where um, in previous chapters I'd looked at, for example, productions that were really interested in kind of setting a Shakespeare play in the early modern period. Mm. Um, in a way that kind of looked beautiful and in a way that uh, contextualized the cultural references in a kind of quite straightforward way. Um, or in a different chapter, I looked at kind of fantastical ideas. So something about early modern fashion looks like magic to modern eyes for some people, if you do it in a certain way. So for example, quite a few productions will uh, show the fairies in a Midsummer Night's Dream as being Elizabethan in comparison to the courtiers who are perhaps modern. So it's a way of defining this otherness. People look back to the past. But Mal's work, um, it was the productions that Mal designed in 2018 at the Globe. So it's As You Like It and Hamlet. And there was this, it was like in 2018, there was this moment where multiple productions went for this really eclectic mixed period approach to design. So it was combining kind of bits of uh, early modern fashion with modern fashion, mixing it all up in different ways and using that to communicate particular ideas or to tell the story in a certain way to modern audiences. And I really wanted to figure out what, why that happened in 2018 at the Globe, also at the RSC and their Merry Wives of Windsor, and the kind of what led to that and how that worked in practice. So Mal's work um, was this really interesting idea of haunting that hadn't come up in my previous chapters. Um, so I would hate to speak for Mal, I'd love to hear Mal talk mm. about this as well. But this idea of the past haunting the present and making that really visible and using that as a kind of interpretive tool for modern audiences to say that kind of um, not only in the play text history, so it's life on the early modern stage, but also Shakespeare's Globe's history as an organisation and its interest in kind of bringing the past into conversation with the present. And in some cases, in the As You Like It, the design for Rosalind went on this trajectory within the play. So it wasn't just a kind of overall concept that was saying like this production, it's past, it's present, we're kind of bringing those things into one space. It was also about saying this character is going on a journey that has a beginning and a middle and an end and using, coding those, those historical garments in a way that subtly had the audience constantly kind of re kind of negotiating their understanding of who Rosalind was and where she came from, where she finished. Um, so there was so much to unpack there and um, I loved writing about it and talking about it. Yeah, thank you. Mal, I hope that wasn't super weird. I apologise if it was. Um, <laughs> it's I, I, fine, I, like... I just went to my mind palace. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I kind of want to hear from both of your mind, mind palaces. Um, uh, yeah, Mal, would you mind telling us, sharing with us a bit more about the kind of design work that you do, either either corresponding to what Ella said or perhaps taking somewhere else, whichever, whichever you'd rather do? Mm, um... Like, when you say, say more about my design practice of 
I mean, if you if you were to characterize the design work that you do, or why you do it, or how you do it, um, or why I do it, that's (laughs) such a brilliant question. I was really struck by by Ella's account is very historically grounded, right? So the kind of 2018 as a kind of moment um, in which costume and time periods change in their significance. Um, But I presume that as a as a practitioner. you know, you need you need to be saying this, not me. But I, um, I think if practice-based work, perhaps not having quite that sense of what the contemporary world is doing, and instead thinking about your your own design trajectory. I don't know. It's just an example, I suppose, of how how you might tell us tell us more about about the work. Yeah, I mean, so I've, I have been kind of thinking quite a lot recently about um, kind of my own perspective um uh, as a as a designer um and yeah kind of considering that i suppose um it's it's interesting it's been kind of coming up quite a lot in conversations i've been having recently um around some of the work that i've done and um what i might kind of specifically bring to the table um as um as a queer designer um, and as a trans designer. Uh, so I think when I was um, training like um, nearly 20 years ago now, um, there was this sort of sense um, that I feel like there was a kind of sense that we were supposed to be like blank slates and very kind of pure like channels um, and kind of who sort of channeled the holy words of of the playwright um and um sort of didn't really put anything of ourselves into that and like of course that's nonsense of course everyone puts <laughs> lots of themselves into something um and i think like that you know that that should be enjoyed that should be embraced um and um but also kind of you know analyzed uh and um, so, yeah, I've kind of been thinking quite a lot recently, I suppose, about um, what maybe makes my practice um, as a trans person different from that as a cis person. And I sort of realised really that I'd always been thinking about and looking about uh, gender embodiment and gender performativity and the way kind of gender is manifested on stage. Um, and um you know particularly um in terms of of clothing um and the interactions between clothing and body and and space and and and, you know different kind of costumes relating to each other in a in a space um and that's something that i'd always been exploring kind of even before i was really kind of you know able to kind of be out to myself uh, as, as a trans person. I was sort of working through um, some transness perhaps um, in in my work, often in like quite sort of subtle ways that an audience probably wouldn't sort of think of as a form of queering, but, but nevertheless, I suppose just like, yeah, the way gender is represented on stage is just always very important to me. Um, and, um, 
I think that's kind of led to me thinking more recently about all the ways in which um, design is um, uh, always already queer, to use the always already phrase that queer theorists love. Um, yeah, just the way design kind of is, is always kind of queering time and queering space and queering the ways in which we experience those. That's great. Thank you very much. I, I sort of sense that this part of the conversation might now haunt, to use Ella's word, um, the rest of the conversation. And I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> that it will, but it might set up a space for us to um, you know, maybe return to some of these ideas. Um, but we said um, we would cover um, some kind of basic questions as, as well. And I, I guess this basic question feels even more exciting um, after the conversation we've just had. Um, but uh, as people who are invested in design, um, I know that a question which again haunts you is why would you study such a thing? And I'm certainly interested in asking what the word design means to you. And um, we were having a quick preliminary conversation before we started uh, making this film. And I did some quick um, Oxford English Dictionary research because I am that guy. Uh, and the OED is, is fallible, um, but it's a useful way of, of, of mind mapping when words come into play. And it looks like the word design enters the English language um, between 1560 and 1580, which is which is Playhouse time, right? It's the it's the moment in which theatres as an institutions uh, as institutions sort of become a thing. Um, so that seems really interesting to me. And it looks like in that early phase, it means something a bit like impose meaning on, to put a sign onto something. I, th I think if I'm reading the OED correctly. Um, so uh, both historically and and in terms of contemporary, I'm really interested to see where you might go with this. Um, yeah, design, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> mm. Well, I mean, I think um, a lot of designers kind of feel that what we do is often a bit sort of um, undervalued or kind of thought of um, as a kind of secondary thing um, and that's something to do with the way sort of text um, and um, embodied text, I suppose, um, is always kind of thought of as 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 prior in the way that we understand theatre because you know because of the early modern period. I would I would say, and perhaps you'd agree that we have. I mean, I I, I know um, S. Grange has been on this uh, on this series and. Um, apart from their work being a lot about uh, hanging out with the dead, they're also kind of trying to sort of de-centre that kind of textual primacy thing and look at what else is happening um, and which sort of doesn't, you know, gets kind of erased or, or forgotten because it isn't textual. Um, but how that kind of leaves out a whole load of other people for whom literariness and literacy is not primary or is maybe not even available. Uh, Malin, it's okay to jump in there. I feel like it's my duty as a bit lit host to say that's film number 15 if you would like to see Sarah <laughs> on that very topic. And if it's all right, I also wonder if it's less an early modern thing and more that in the early modern period there is, there's a split between people who are watching theatre to watch it 
and people who are valorizing theatre to listen to the words. And it's the people who are listening to the words who dominate the documentary evidence. So I wonder if it's less of early modern, a legacy of early modern culture and more of archival survival, but just oh, Yeah, I would like really agree with that. I think that's, that's kind of probably what I was, um, what I was driving at. It's not necessarily sort of the way things would, would be understood at the time, but it's, it's very much um, indicative of the way things have been recorded and remembered and, and archived for, for sure. Um, and um, so I suppose like to kind of land back now, um, most designers I know sort of have a bit of a chip on their shoulder about the sort of still very common idea that basically we kind of make backgrounds that we sort of come along after the fact of something and just decorate it a bit. Um, whereas I think most designers think of what we do as a kind of visual dramaturgy, but even that is kind of making the comparison with text. So I've been, um, I've been reading uh, Rachel Hand's work recently um, and she does some really kind of interesting, uh, very sort of close reading work around sort of the different uh, language that's used for design um, sort of in different countries. And she talks about, um, sort of, uh, she, she makes a difference between scenography and scenographics. And what I'm understanding her to mean there is that scenographics, um, she's using it as a kind of thick word, a kind of thick description of all the different ways in which um, bodies and clothing and space and music and, and text and light uh, and people watching and all the ways in which those kind of interact and not kind of putting anything kind of hierarchical on that. I might be like wildly misinterpreting her, by the way. Um, but um, well, she also talks about worlding, which I think is a really lovely word. Say that again, Mal, sorry. Worlding. Mm. She used the word worlding um, and acts of, of worlding. And I think that's, that's mm. really beautiful. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, we, we have a further resources section at the end, um, on every page of our website, so we'll make sure that uh, Rachel Hand's book is, is there. So if you're watching this on our website, just go down, it'll be down there. Um, before I hand over to, to Ella, um, yeah, I, I am still thinking about how this is a legacy of the early modern period and how when we think of particular Shakespeare plays, if you think of Hamlet, people will start trotting out to be or not to be, um, uh, or the Tempest, um, we are such stuff as dreams are made of or something like that. But I'm convinced in the period, you know, those plays, Winter's Tale um, is the bear and freaky statue play. The, the Tempest is the massive storm. Oh my God, you won't believe the storm uh, play. Um, and we do still think of Hamlet um, visually and iconographically, I suppose, but, but we, we kind of text those, these plays, which their central characteristic is surely that, that worlding to go back to, to Mal's word. Um, yeah. Ella, do you want to tell us more about design? Yeah, I was also just thinking about um, the early modern kind of legacy and thinking about how spectacle has always been also kind of not undervalued, but kind of, you know, it's not seen as a positive thing in many, you know, people, if something's too spectacular, mm. it's not necessarily a good thing. 
spectacle perhaps detracts from the text. And I wonder if that's kind of an underlying thread um, that still kind of affects how we think about design in relation to text. Um, I actually rarely use the word design because it's so general and because it goes beyond theatre. Um, so often I write about costumes, so I specifically say costume, also because design for costume and design for the stage are two, it seems to me, wholly different kind of skill sets and processes. Instead of addressing bodies, you're addressing a space and they interrelate, but they're quite different. Um, yeah. So design is a, is, a, is a very interesting word that kind of goes, it's a much bigger one that relates more to just how the world looks and feels and how you interact with it, uh, for me. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, when we talked earlier about um, Ella's work on Mal's work, it's really a clunky phrase, I apologise. Mm -hmm. But um, Ella, you talked about coding garments to renegotiate identity and story with the audience. Um, whereas Mal talked about an interaction of clothing and body. And I thought that was kind of interesting, kind of thinking about the same process, but from a slightly different interaction on the one hand between clothing and the performer's body, on the other between clothing and the audience's understanding of identity and, and story. Um, and I wonder if that's a way into some of these, these issues um, that, that design or whatever you want to call it changes depending on whose, whose viewpoint we're, we're looking at them from. Is that right? Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a really nice thing to pick up on. Um, and yeah, when I'm, if I'm ever kind of teaching or sort of introducing people to design process and design concepts, like pretty much the first thing I invite them to consider is, is the audience and kind of casting the audience in a sense. Like, are they kind of on the outside looking in? Are they sort of, are they part of that world? Um, and you know that's that's not just kind of um conceptual or metaphorical that's like literally in kind of spatial practice like for instance in the globe they sort of almost wrap around the stage um but some of them are kind of on the ground looking up um some of them are kind of quite a bit further away sort of beyond a sea of bodies um looking over other people's heads um, and on an eye level. Some people are kind of even further away and sort of looking down. Um, and just, you know, the way you are spatially affects the way you experience and interact with, um, with what's on stage kind of emotionally. Um, another interesting thing about the globe is that the audience are like intensely aware of each other, or of each other's bodies which like I'm just having a little pang thinking about it in these very in these times when we're not allowed to be close together um that um that especially in the in the yard like bodies are really pressed up together and you can sort of feel the heat of other people and um sort of you know breathe together um and and because you're in in this sort of shared light with with the actors um that is a very different experience to to most theater um experiences and but it's something that i really enjoy playing with in a lot of work i do i, I really love theater setups where the audience can kind of see each other and see themselves as part of the world um of the event um rather than sort of feeling separate or kind of hidden from it and from from each other and it was something 
something I w felt very strongly about when I first started working on those Globe shows was that sense of kind of a mix of, of periods um, and picking up on that from the early modern period. Um, like, as far as we know, there was um, a, a kind of mashup of different periods uh, on that stage that would kind of include um, a version of historical, um, wh whatever we might understand that to mean, like now or, or then, um, and fantastical, and um, and then every day, uh, you know, there would be people standing up on that stage who looked like the people standing in in the yard, um, standing then alongside kings and gods and, and monsters, uh, and that that sort of I think it's, it's not quite maybe what people have in their head when they imagine going to see a play and certainly when they imagine going to see a Shakespeare play at the Globe um, to, to imagine that there would be people who look like them mm. alongside people who very much don't and <laughs> yeah that felt important to work with. Yeah it depends what you're wearing when you're an audience member in the Globe of course. Um, I wondered well, there a were a gang of people who wanted to all come in Elizabethan dress, and I was I was very very excited about that. I think it was like uh, some donor and and their buddies um, proposed to come to the first night of Hamlet um, in in Tudorbethan costume, and yeah, I I'm, I'm here for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, people should go to the, the theatre in costume more often. <laughs> I wonder if this is a good way place to segue to. Um, Ella's work and thinking about the way contemporary theatre um, uh, mediates whatever the right verb is really um, does things to um, Elizabethan on stage and off stage um, clothing. I think we should ignore um, Mal's terrifying, dangerous and probably illegal idea that people should be in the same space breathing together. That ain't happening anymore. That's mad. That's in the past. That's traditional and gone. Um, but yeah, Ella, could you tell us a bit more about um, about your work and the way in which Elizabethan Jacobean clothing gets kind of refracted, used, changed in contemporary performance. Yeah, the interesting thing about it is that it, it gets done in so many different ways, um, in a way that um, has perhaps not previously been sort of taken into account. Often it's kind of, uh, there's a category of, oh, there's period dress performance, and then there's modern dress performance, and they kind of get put into their own little boxes. And um, the thing that became most kind of interesting and clear as I was working through the project is that they're doing so many different things, and there are so many different ways of engaging with that, um, that history, and so many different reasons for doing it. And um, what I love about it is that the closer you get with analysing how costumes were made in particular places by particular people, you can learn so much about the wider kind of performance philosophy that's happening in that place. Mm. So to come back to Shakespeare's Globe as an example, if you look at the original practices productions that were kind of practised between 1997 and 2005 uh, by Jenny Tiramani and her costume team, <clears throat> that was all about researching, and um, kind of reviving and understanding these lost uh, construction processes, piecing together, you know, looking at surviving garments, looking at kind of um, uh, other sources in order to understand how they were made, how they moved, how they fitted the body. And that created this whole raft of information that had not been kind of around for centuries, essentially. And it wasn't so much about um, 
let's experience what a play would have looked like in Shakespeare's time, it became much more about let's transform our understanding of the material culture of the early modern period. And that has had sort of huge ramifications far beyond Shakespeare. Um, and then if you fast forward a few years to Dominic Drumgoul's period, which immediately followed that period, um, it was much less about kind of understanding the past and finding subtle ways to make the narrative make sense to modern audiences while keeping the look of the historical. And that links to all kinds of other things that were happening during that period. So subtle kind of changes to the stage space to give modern practitioners more options. Um, so things looked historical, but you could also say like, oh, they look rich because I understand that purple or red or rich tones, that means something to me now. So it's kind of blending in a very kind of quiet way um, how those kind of two cultures come together. Um, so, and then if you fast forward again to the work Mal was doing, it was a period of kind of a different idea of reinvention and a different idea of the relationship between past and present that wasn't subtle and it wasn't, um, it couldn't be read as kind of looking historical but actually not quite being historical. It was about kind of really confronting that and finding, and it was all about collaboration. That was the most important thing about it. It wasn't that Mal was kind of in charge of everything about the design. Mal worked with all the actors and they, the, the directors to come up with something that was true for the actors as much as it was for Mal, I think. <laughs> Again, not wanting to talk for you, but it was kind of coming up with a philosophy of performance that was about collaboration um, and not about kind of hierarchical ways of creating theatre. Mm -hmm. So if you look at like an individual choice about how a seam is sewn, where you get your fabrics from, you can learn an awful lot about kind of much bigger ideas and where they come from and how they've come into being. Yeah, great. Thank you. Mal, did you want to add to any of that? Um, you don't need to. I just, uh, I'm the way you keep being spoken about. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually, um, yeah, no, it's, it's just really nice to hear people talk about design. Um, so kind of thoughtfully, really, I was like, I, I kind of want to recommend Ella's, um, Ella's work. Um, I, is, is it going to be published in a way that like more people can access it? Because I, I just want all my design chums to, to read it. It's like, it's just some of the nicest writing I've read about design just ever really. I mean, I, I, I know I'm biased because it says <laughs> nice things about me, but... <laughs> Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah available at some point. Amazing. Uh, I'll announce when I can. Um, I was gonna. I'm kind of like reaching and groping for for this um, book. Have you have you read this one, Ella? No, that looks great though. Um, yeah, this. I've been really enjoying the way. Basically, it's kind of like really. It's like it's kind of close reading of objects, basically, and they kind of made me think of it when you were talking about how much you can learn from like a seam or, <laughs> or the, yeah, the way something fastens. Um, and uh, yeah, so it sort of does some, there's a really fun chapter about cod pieces um, and uh, sort of the, the difference between the ones that are more phallic and the ones that are more, um, I think, testicular uh, and kind of uh, which one Henry VIII had. Um, and how that kind of plays into a lot of kind of anxieties in the age about um, legacy and um, the sort of generation that of, of Tudors. Um, 
and uh, and also says that it was apparently kind of common practice to use them as pin cushions, which just like just creates more questions really than than it answers. Um, <laughs> someone's in them. I I don't know. It's unclear. Okay. Apparently, like there was okay, so there was um, a statue of of Henry VIII that was in the Tower of London um, for a long time, wearing um, his uh, wearing his clothing, um, and so this was like um, in sort of in the late sixteen hundreds and um, and seventeen hundreds. This I'm not sort of talking about sort of modern heritage tourism. This was like yeah. Old, old-fashioned history, old history, uh, historical history, and um, but uh, yeah, apparently in those days you could you could go and you could have a look at Henry VIII's um, kind of mannequin, um, and there was like a secret button in the ground um, that if you trod on it, uh, it would reveal his codpiece, uh, and um, and it was good luck to stick pins in it. Gosh. Wow. Um. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that, but thank you, Mel. Um, one thing I, that I was really struck by in um, Ella's account of the kind of different jurisdictions at the globe and their different relationships with design and historical research. And here I'm segueing all the way back to something that Mel said right at the start about moving between design and, and um, PhD research. Um, that the early the early stage of the globe, it looked like making was a form of historical research, right? Mm -hmm. But I wonder if that's still true of um, Michelle Terry's uh, recent recent work. But but the meaning of the word making and the meaning of research has simply changed because we have in the form of Mal someone who is doing both of those things. And again, Mal, I don't want to put words in your mouth, and this is something I want to hear from you about. Presumably there is a relationship between the making and the research that you're doing. Um, having said that there presumably is such a relationship, can you tell us if there is and what it is? <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose it's, I think they're the same thing, really. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really see practice and research as kind of separate things anymore. I, yeah, practice is is research. It's a form of, of research. Um, and um, yeah, I suppose it's kind of then about what you do with that information and what you do with that, that knowledge, isn't it? I, I think kind of, I definitely learned all sorts of things and, and it made me think about the plays in lots of diff different ways. Um, and um, there was there was kind of information there that I think and, and ideas that came up that wouldn't have come up any other way other than from having those experiences of doing and and making and and exploring and observing kind of interactions between bodies and, and space and and clothing. Um, but uh, yeah, sort of. I think that would, I don't want to speak for the actors, um, but I'm sure that, that yeah, they had experiences and sort of, and knowledge was, was produced that, that informed the, the, their understanding of the plays and 
and their performances. Um, I mean, because that's that is just what costume and and, and design does anyway. Um, but yeah, I was. I think you never quite know what what you're going to know till you know it. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm now thinking about a conference that we were at um, together where someone was talking about kind of practices as research and, um, uh, you know, sort of what they'd learned or not learned from doing a particular, um, staging a particular play in, in period costume, in authentic period costume. Because of course there's costume that looks authentic, um, but actually isn't because, um, it's been adapted so it's sort of easier for modern people to use um but uh then that sort of can lead to sort of maybe sort of misinterpretations of of actually kind of how it is to em embody costumes um and uh, i think yeah they were talking about sort of um timings and how trying to sort of figure out whether certain forms of doubling were possible um, and so on based on how long it takes to get in and out of of costume and I think they sort of concluded that the doubling that they had in mind wouldn't have been possible because of the time it took to get in and out of those costumes um, but unfortunately they'd only done it once so they didn't um, have that thing of well if you've been putting these costumes these clothes on your entire life you probably know how to put them on a bit quicker um, and also anyone who's kind of worked in theatre will know that the first time you do a quick change like everything's on fire and it takes forever um, and then like sort of the second third fourth time um, it's it's a walk in the park yeah and the thing i'd add to that is the text itself is malleable right and if if you want to double those two characters you just put some more text in or make sure the text takes long enough or have some music or you, you just do something that yeah yeah is. well i mean that kind of brings me back to as you like it and the way that like if you're kind of if you're just reading it on the page and you get to touchstones kind of the first cause and the second cause speech you're just like what is this why has everything basically stopped so this guy can talk about nothing um for <laughs> a couple of pages like if you're doing the play you uh, or if you're reading it as a designer you're like oh that's the bit that's going to give us enough time to get rosalind out of a ganymede costume and into a really fancy wedding dress um and the amount of time this is taking and in fact I would argue that it's probably written in a way that allows for a lot of improvisation and a lot of elasticity because it's kind of it's a it's a clown's speech and it's written for someone who would be used to clowning and improvisation I would I would say um that yeah that's that means you kind of if you kind of think about the materiality of those moments you you know the play in a different way and and it sort of brings you closer to the people um making those plays in the first place and i would say that's that's probably quite an obvious example but there are so many kind of moments like that um and like i'm aware we're running out of time so i won't give any more examples but um that is a kind of to me that feels like a kind of hauntedness that mm. suddenly 
when you're actually grappling with the material conditions of staging these plays and not just thinking about about the words as literature. Um, if you're thinking about them as one part of a kind of a machinery, um, suddenly it is a bit like the past kind of taps you on the shoulder uh, and and it, it can be very, very eerie uh, to, to suddenly kind of have those thoughts and those revelations. Um, and I, there were many times in the Globe uh, shows where I did wonder if because of the specific conditions where you're, you're in this kind of, to an extent, historical reconstruction of a specific space, but we're also working with some like very different and interesting conditions of our own now, that that was basically meaning that I was having some kind of revelations um, and some ideas that no one had ever had before. Not that it matters if I'm the first person to have them or not, but yeah, it, there were these moments where it would feel like kind of the telescope of time kind of collapsed. Wow. I, I want to wrap the conversation up now, if that's right. But Ella, did you want to add anything to that before I summarise and then ask our final question? No, that's fine. You go ahead. Well, the thing I've really enjoyed from both of you is, I mean, Mal referred earlier to the way design often gets seen as something that is secondary to text and belated, something that happens after text. And I'm, I've really enjoyed being asked to think about design as a, as a primary driver of creativity. And again, it wouldn't matter if that wasn't an historical thing, but I'm convinced it's an absolutely historical thing. And this model we have that a writer writes something and then a company perform it just seems completely wrong. Um, and there's plenty of evidence in the period of, of companies basically going, we want a play which does this. Mm. Uh, that's your design. And now, now go away and make the words fit to the design rather mm. than the other way around. Um, so I've really valued the way both of you have asked us um, to think about that. We end our films, as you know, um, by asking what the word literature means to you um, and you're welcome to answer that as professionally or as personally um, as you like and you're also welcome to think about where it sits in relation to design in many ways that's been a key part of the conversation already maybe if we start with Ella please I don't know if I have a really intelligent question uh, answer to that to that question um the written word and something concreteness about it with its links to kind of a literal interpretation or a kind of literal reading of something a kind of directness that's not so kind of malleable i guess although that doesn't seem right compared to what you know literature actually is but something about that written word concreteness and directness Thank you. I love it. Literature is concrete. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. Um, Mal. Mm, I, I knew you were going to ask this, so I've been, I've been trying to think about what it does mean. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure. I think I'm kind of suspicious of it. Um, I, I, rightly or wrongly, for me, it kind of lands as a word that maybe kind of stands in the way of experiencing um experiencing something uh, <laughs> i thought you could end the sentence there it was, it was all experiencing 
Yeah, yeah, I think it might be a word that kind of stands in the way of experiencing, um, in that it kind of puts this sort of false primacy on the word and then gives it an even fancier title uh, that maybe kind of leaves out a lot of stuff that that isn't that. I mean, I, I, I love words and I love language, but I'm also aware that we live in a kind of culture that somehow sort of puts a lot of value on them, um, perhaps to, to the devaluing of other forms of knowing and other forms of experience and definitely like erases um, if, if that's sort of the primary way that we know and that we do history then there's so many people that we lose uh, through that yeah thank you literature is raising concrete is what's going to go on my t-shirt uh, <laughs> I quite like that um, I like you. that it's a t-shirt as well. That's like then that'll be a kind of material yes. embodied experience. Well, I might need some help making it. You two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you both very much. It's been uh, it's been really fun. I like how we've challenged lots of different binaries. I never thought one of the binaries was going to be um, phallic and testicular, but there we go. <laughs> uh, we, we, hang on, we can't end it on that note. That's a terrible. <laughs> Um, so thank you for making us think about design. Let's get back to design. Um, visual dramaturgy, and as Mal says, that's um, a problematic phrase, but it's a useful way of thinking about it. Acts of um, of wording. I've been wondering about the difference between... Worlding. Words. Sorry. Worlding, as in like the world. Yes. Thank you. Mm. God, I got the word... I put the word word in the way of the word world. Uh, <laughs> acts of worlding, and I've been wondering about how that relates to the sort of sci-fi notion of world building you often hear in relation to fantasy. Yeah, um, I use that phrase a lot. World yeah, building. I think it's a really important phrase for all kinds of, of art. Um, uh, yes, I've really valued this conversation. I will be haunted by it in a good way uh, for a long time to come. So thank you both very much. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks.